Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the shapers of the business world together with the musicians shaping jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Deepak Ravindran, co-founder of Oddbox, a sustainable fruit and veg box business tackling food waste. Having grown up in India, where he met his wife and soon-to-be co-founder Emily, Deepak moved to London aged 30, taking up a job in the finance sector. But dissatisfaction with the banking culture drove Deepak to leave, with a plan simply to work on something with purpose. He established Fitware, a personal training company for the Indian community. But it was while browsing imperfect and delicious tomatoes, as they say in a Portuguese market, that Emily and Deepak realised something needed to change in the UK, where up to 40% of farm produce is wasted because it doesn't look aesthetically pleasing. As Deepak says, food waste exists because of our perceptions of perfection. So we had to change mindsets. Oddbox was launched in 2015, initially packing wonky veg at Ballam Community Church and hand-delivering to customers. They've now helped to save over 24,000 tonnes of fruit and vegetables that would otherwise have been wasted. That, by the way, is the yearly food intake of over 53,000 people and avoided over 26,000 tonnes of carbon emissions, which is enough energy to power over 6,000 houses for a year. Hello, Deepak. It's lovely to have you here in the virtual world of Jazz Shapers, I should say. Thank you for coming on to the programme. Oddbox, tell me about the name firstly. How did you come up with Oddbox back in 2015? What happened? Well, firstly, uh, thank you for having me, Elliot. Really, um, it's a pleasure and honour to be here. Um, So funnily enough, when we launched in 2015, we used to be called Tasty Misfits. It's an extent of all creativity, to be fair, uh, in the early days. And then when we went to trademark the name, we came across the fact that Mars Confectionery Company had a dog food brand called Misfits. And they essentially had trademarked the word against all categories, including fresh produce. So we were forced to change our name. And Gavin, who is our head of operations now, and uh, was an intern then, he essentially came up with the name Oddbox, Odd Things in a Box, and we did this kind of market survey in the co-working space where we uh, used to work in. Um, and so we, we went through a number of names, Odd Delicious being another. And at that time, when we were about to change the name, we thought long and hard about, ah, I mean, we just started a business. We're going to change the name now. What would our 60-odd customers think about it? Which was kind of really, you know, I think it was quite naive of us in terms of the impact that we were having. But yes, in hindsight, it's one of the best decisions we we did because I think the the name resonates with a lot of people now. It's a it's a great name. It's really simple and I can't imagine if you'd have been called Tasty Misfits. I don't think that's half as good. Lucky that they trademarked all those things. But it's it's a kind of funny, you know, it says to me immediately that you you and Emily and the and the team at that point were full of common sense because you just took a practical view, you didn't overthink it and you have cracked on. Has that been the mantra since the beginning? Do you think is that is that why we're chatting here seven years later? You're a heavily funded, well-funded business with proper backers. People have heard of you. You're advertising. I mean, I think the reason we got in contact with you was because I saw these fabulous little 
bus adverts and I thought oh box I like them that's fab- well, we should go and talk to them but has it come from that that sense of just keeping it simple right from the beginning I think so and I think for me and Emily we didn't ever had the grand vision of building something big or being in in 70 countries across the globe or anything like that for us it was we had to do something different from our corporate careers or for Emily from our charity kind of salary job if you will and focus on something with purpose and for us, we saw the problem of food waste at a farm level and it was coming up with an easy, quick solution without thinking too much about it. And both of us are finance pro- professionals. And for us, it was running a business with strong financial, essentially, viability uh, rather than just you know growing for the sake of it. And that's why we, we, for the first two years, we bootstrapped the business. Our first logo was £30. Our first boxes were the cheapest cardboard boxes you could find. And the first pictures on the website were us going to the local park and shooting, you know, pictures of the box on the ground. And and so it was pretty, um, pretty kind of bootstrapped, if you will, but mainly so that we could understand the business and just we had built a bit, like you say, a bit of common sense more than anything else. When you were in the finance world, what was it you didn't like about it, Deepak? What pushed you? to go looking for ideas. I mentioned earlier that you had this fitness idea and now here we are actually and you've landed this one. But what forced you to go, do you know what, there's more to life than this? I think it was not a particular moment as such. It was a almost a culmination of many, many moments. Predominantly it was, you know, just the alpha culture that you find in investment banks where a lot of smart people clearly have to prove that they are smarter than the other person across the table. And and I still have you know friends in investment banking and you know, great great guys, but I think overall, the the fact that you're working on a essentially a man-made financial problem, along with the whole kind of alpha culture that goes along with investment banking, made me think that I'm I'm spending eight to ten hours of my life, waking hours just here only for the money, nothing else. Uh, I'm not learning, um, and I think at that point. I was just standing outside the city, smoking a cigarette, dare I say. I've quit now, by the way. Um, and just watching... <laughs> it's okay if you smoke. I think it's all right. Do you know what? Uh, the cancel culture thing goes so far, but you're allowed to smoke if you want to, even if you have a secret one occasionally, Deepak, as I know many of my friends do. But carry on. Yeah. Um, and I'm just standing outside, looking at all these tourists in the city, um, in, 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 in Bank, and it's going, ah, you know what? It's such a nice privilege just to be, you know, like tourists walking outside. You know, there's, there's so much to life beyond just work and the financial bubble that we live in, in the city. And I thought, it's clearly there's more to life than just working in a bank. So I decided to just quit. I didn't have an idea then. I had some guiding principles. It was either fitness or food related, but something with purpose, not commercially focused, because I knew you could have money. That doesn't give you happiness. So uh, how do I do something else that, uh, be more purposeful. So that was the kind of driving factor. In terms of, if you were to say, the positive side of, of what you did, I mean, you know, I know and have, have met a fair few analysts from the financial world, and there's a really deep skill set there. There's an ability to look at numbers, left, right, inside out, upside down, an ability to challenge the assumptions that people are making about the business through the lens of finance and so on. Surely some of that is fabulously useful for your business now because, as you said, you needed a business to be financially viable, not just because it sounded like a fun idea. But now as you look at your own numbers, are you able to be objective and that analyst of your own business and make tough decisions? Is that still something you've maintained? Absolutely. So I think 
there was a lot that I learned from the corporate world, how to be structured, how to be organized, how to present and articulate your ideas, which otherwise, you know, if it was just me, raw me, it would just be a lot of, you know, just gobbledygook, right? So I think it's essentially how do I use that? And I've used a lot of the, you know, the business process, uh, mapping, how do you set processes to optimize the way we work? How do we place a financial lens on every decision we take and so on? And I think all that has helped a lot with the, the knowledge I've gained in, in, in the corporate world. Stay with me for much more from my guest today, Deepak Ravindran, previously in the world of finance, now making lovely, odd-looking bits of vegetables and fruits work for you in a box. They call it Odd Box, and he'll be back in a couple of minutes. Right now, we're going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions. They can be found on, on all the major podcast platforms. Mishcon Durez, Victoria Piggott and Dr. Rebecca Newton, organisational psychologist and CEO of Coach Advisor, discuss the impact of women in positions of leadership and on boards. The Mishcon Academy digital sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. If you could see one change in businesses, organisations, in relation to women and getting women into leadership roles on boards, in the executive, what would it be? It would be healthier cultures because it is not enough just to have the women in the positions at all layers of leadership. We want to see that. You know, a lot of my client organizations have goals for 2030 of 50% women in leadership positions across the business. I'm concerned where they don't have clear strategies for how they're going to achieve that. And it needs to coincide. So I think that's the the right thing to do is to have goals, um, to have strategies for how you're going to achieve those goals. And it has to coincide with What kind of culture changes do we need to make to leadership teams and to the organization as a whole in order to make sure that we see the positive returns of having women in leadership positions and that those women in leadership positions have a positive experience, that they feel that they are able to contribute and bring their best self to the organization, to those roles, to the meetings. Um, And... To question why hasn't that happened before is probably a good way of of looking at that if we're just doing it because we know that we need to now. Um, So I would say the biggest change that I would like to see is to make sure that there is alignment around healthy teams and healthy cultures, not just the number of women in these positions. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former business shapers on the Jazz Shapers podcast. And indeed, you can hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or if you've got a smart speaker, just ask it to play Jazz Shapers and you should be rewarded with a smorgasbord of our recent shows. But back to today, it's Deepak Ravindran, co-founder of Oddbox, a sustainable fruit and veg box tackling food waste. You talked about the, I'm going to call it the left brain, the the Western world of finance. Although, of course, you know, you and I both know that maths began in India and and the study of maths and and the best mathematicians in the world ever uh, emanated from there. But the other side of of Indian culture and your heritage, and you sort of touched on, you know, the East and happiness and things. 
How much of your own upbringing has informed the way that you view the world? You've mentioned purpose, and it's an oft-used, maybe overused word now. But for you, as an Indian man coming from the south of India, ending up in the UK, age 30, what did you hold on to, and what do you still hold on to? What do you still refer to that was very much the way that you were brought up? I think it's it's funny in terms of the values that were imbibed in me, um, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a kind of small town in south India, just to kind of look at that objectively, are quite similar to the values my wife Emily has living in a small village, growing up in a small village in France. So I think there's some similarities there in terms of being, being you know, resourceful in about the way we think about things, being financially savvy, not having debt, for instance, um, which kind of has imbibed in me at a really young age. So I don't have, I have credit cards, but I never use them, for instance. And I think, again, Living a life that helps other people as well is something, another value that I learned uh, at a young age where my mom would always tell me, right, okay, you know, you've got to give, you know, help, um, you know, the, the, the poorer people whenever you can, if, if not with money, with food, for instance, because they, they have less access to the stuff that we would have growing up. And I think... I suppose I was distracted, I would say, working in the world of investment banking, where you just go, you just focus on the the destination, I suppose, right? And I think there's, in India, there's a, is a tale of two worlds, where on one hand, you have purpose-driven, you know, people wanting to help other people and so on. On the other hand, it's a, you know, it's just a middle class, people are just seeing, getting access now to money and wealth. And there's also this kind of thing of, Buy a house and buy a car and yeah and and accumulate assets, which is quite different from the Western world now. You know, Western world is going down the the curve of, of that kind of capitalistic kind of uh, way of thinking. And I think I've, I've seen both worlds now. And I think I've, I've essentially came to the UK thinking, ah, oh, you know, here's great place, quality of life is great, uh, much better than in India. Clearly, the work life balance is good as well, which is great. But I think you know there was also the sense of ah. Uh, you know, life is much easier here. But having seen both worlds, now I've, I've gone into a state of right. Now there's there's another world of balance where you don't have to be completely capitalistic. You don't have to be completely the other way around. You could be balanced in, in the way of thinking. I think the values that were imbibed in me have kept me, I suppose, uh, brought me back down to earth uh, in a way, in a good way. Um, so that now I'm a bit more balanced in my way of thinking and thinking, uh, you know, what? Why, why do we need to accumulate assets? Could we just repair that jacket rather than buying a new jacket just because it's cheap? It doesn't mean you have to go and buy a new jacket. So things like that, I think, have, have, have helped a lot. You mentioned your wife, Emily, who's the partner in the business, French, and the fact that you were both from small villages. As your business gets bigger and scale is a thing, and it's a thing now for you already. I mean, you know, you're, you're selling a lot more than you were selling a few years ago. It's a serious business that you're invested in and so on and so forth. How are you going to maintain within your own team that sense of being in a small village mm. with good values, with community, with looking out for each other. How will that happen as you really get much, much bigger than you are now? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's, especially when you have investors on board, you get pulled in different directions. And that's just the nature of the beast, really. And I think it's all role to have an open line of communication between me and Emily first to say, right, okay, are we clear on the why? Let's not lose sight of the why, why we started Oddbox. And clearly, we are both ambitious, so we want to you know, have impact at scale, and there's nothing wrong about that. There's nothing, and you, sometimes you have to kind of bring people on that journey to say, it's okay to be ambitious and be purpose-led. We don't have to do one or the other. Some people get confused by that. But I think it's constantly, A, having that open line of communication, B, making sure that when we have 
uh, we have we have four values in the business: transparency, inclusivity, you know, mindfulness, and entrepreneurship. How do we essentially move beyond four words on a wall, on a kind of a frame somewhere? To how do we display those behaviors on a, on a day-to-day basis? And we have like team sessions uh, every now and then to essentially say, okay, how, tell us how you display those behaviors. We've built it into all kind of goals and objectives. So each person on the team has to talk about a scenario where they've displayed the, those behaviors. And I think as long as me and Emily are still grounded and we bring it back to the why, and we are able to also convince all the stakeholders, not just you know the investors, the team, you know the wider community, our customers as well. We don't want to be seen as selling out, if you know what I mean. Uh, I think that that would be detrimental to what we started. I think it's just one of those things where we have to have a, a, a conscious eye on at all given points in time, and balance growth with the mission and purpose. And in there, just the, the perfection thing. Mm. And obviously, you, you know, your whole business is predicated on the imperfect. How do you ensure that whilst, you know, all those plans are up there, the objectives and your financial measures and you've got your investors and you've got your people and you've got systems, how do you ensure you keep the imperfect protected? Because the imperfect's kind of fun. It's where interesting things happen. It's where the unexpected happens. How do you ensure that re- is retained in the spirit of your business? I mean, it's built into our brand and our mission and our, for instance, our sourcing, which is the biggest, that's the gig, if you know what I mean. The, the, the sourcing team works with the growers. And so there's this constant re-evaluation of, are we sourcing the right produce? Let's talk about those stories. Let's bring those stories to life. Let's talk about the provenance to, to our community. And I think as long as that's locked in, in the mission and in and, and how we do things, then it's more a question of how do we add other add, add structure to that to maintain you know and not touch the core and that's the core of what we do uh, being grower led is what we say is our differentiating factor it's totally different to being supply led which is the other kind of the demand led kind of way of thinking about produce or, or food for that matter how do we protect that grower led way of thinking eating and educate people as well because people are not used to that people are used to going to supermarkets and buying what they like what they are used to and moving away from that way of thinking and i think it's just being conscious of saying that's mission locked that's non-negotiable let's add structure on top of it almost like a layer cake to ensure we we meet our goals and objectives uh, which is important as well i mean we we have to take care of our investors as much as we have to take care of our customers and our and our team We'll have our final chat with my guest today, Deepak Ravindran, and we've got some Esperanza Sporting for you too. That's in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Deepak Ravindran is my business shaper just for a few more minutes. You've mentioned Emily. I've mentioned Emily. She's your wife. You work together. Sometimes I have husband and wife teams in with me. Uh, she, she's not with you, so she, she can't protect her. She can't defend herself. But how do you ensure that you protect your relationship as husband and wife as well as as partners in a business what what goes on practically for you as leaders hmm. uh, and then as partners and i mean partners in a personal sense rather than a business sense i think there's a couple of things to it we were work colleagues before that's where we met that's how we met in india which helps so we we be used to a way of working second is i think we are quite different at work although we have similar values emily's probably 
quite solution driven, execution focused. I'm a bit more waffly, you know, big big ideas, vision, all that jazz. Uh, you know, so but it, it actually it works really well is what we think that kind of the yin and yang kind of a way of working. For us, it works really well because I'm able to challenge her constructively without ego, and she's able to kind of you know do the same. And I don't have like I'm not thinking, ah, oh, Emily, ah, how dare she ask me that question? I'm thinking, yeah, you know what? I, I respect her. Clearly, she's smarter than I am, and it's a valid question. And so, I think that there's mutual respect there. There's the sense of I think we are again bringing it back to the mission. So I think we are working on something which is much larger than we are. And as long as that problem is still out there, our job is not done here. I think that keeps us grounded as well and wake, wakes us up on a Monday morning. And I think overall, I think it's just a sense of kind of um, you know. Did I also already mention respect? Respect, but I think you make the point, and I think when when people talk about respect, again, it's sometimes easy to say but harder to do. But it sounds like that's exactly what is the under underpin of the relationship. The problem you allude to of hunger or food waste and then the other side of that of hunger. Recently, I heard David Beasley, who's the head of World Food Programme, talking about the fact that over the coming months, the number of people globally that will need feeding who are going to go hungry will go from 150 million in the world, which is a horrific number. It's impossible to even imagine that number of people, to over 250 million. You yourselves as Oddbox um, applied for UN membership status for the newly founded country named Wasteland. That is the biggest of the biggest of the biggest kind of objectives, if you like. How do you not lose hope that you will, in your own small way, help to deliver against that problem? I think it's, again, it's going back to being a bit naive, just the early, the early days. We don't know. We don't have... We have a vision to how to build the business and, 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 and now a bit, a bit more of that, actually, than maybe two years ago. But I think in terms of the problem itself... I would say we are still naive about the outcomes, which keeps us a bit more curious as well. I mean, about what we could do, what we couldn't be doing. And I think that's, I feel, a good place to be in because that keeps us engaged. That keeps us coming back to, okay, let's just solve the problem. There's there's lots to be done here. It's not that it's done and dusted. Because in a good way, if you think about it, if we solve the problem, Oddbox doesn't exist anymore. So we are essentially running ourselves out of business. But that's a good thing, you know, and we, we look back at it and go, you know what, that's great, you know, if, if you're able to solve this big problem, then let's go and do something else. It's not a big, you know, it's not like the end of the world. I don't want to go back to banking, by the way, but uh, it's uh, a <laughs> go, go find some, you know, go, go find something else to do. But, you know, and that's why there's a lot of hope because there's this big problem. We keep hearing research reports over research reports from WWF, Project Drawdown, RAP, and so on about food waste still being there as a problem at, at a farm level. And so for us, the problem is still there. We haven't found the perfect solution. There's loads more to be done. And I think that's a great place to be in, I think, mentally for us. Deepak, it's been great talking to you. Thank you for your time today. And good luck um, with Oddbox. Um, I think it's brilliant. And I look forward to sampling the wares, the odd-looking vegetables and the odd-looking bits of fruit very, very shortly. Um, just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? So, song choice is Cantaloupe Island by Herbie Hancock. And the, and the reason why I chose that was, A, clearly it goes along with the odd box, kind of uh, the, the ethos, being a fruit and all that. But I think jazz is never a big thing in India, at least when I was growing up. And I remember my dad was more into kind of the Queen and, and uh, Michael Jackson and all that. But he had this one record of, of Herbie Hancock. And I remember kind of growing up listening to these songs. And so, yeah, that's the, uh, that's the kind of uh, background. 
Herbie Hancock with Cantaloupe Island, the song choice of my business shaper today, Deepak Ravindran. He talked about looking for balance and finding that balance between work and play uh, and also the sense of purpose as well as money. He said, don't lose sight of the why. It's something that keeps that business and Ravindran and his wife Emily on the straight and narrow. Mission locked, he talks about, in terms of some of those really important things. And finally, naivety keeps you curious. And I think that's a really nice thought about sometimes going into the unknown and it's better not to know. It keeps you alive and it keeps you thinking about what's possible. Great stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz.